don't waste your time with that. Practice more Muay Thai. Then you're getting more skill development as well. If you're doing anything supplemental, you should be doing the things that plug the gaps that the Muay Thai training isn't giving you. Welcome to Muay Yi, the first platform created to educate and inspire Muay Thai fighters and enthusiasts. We aim to pave a clearer path for those that need it the most. Equal pay, equal spotlight, equal opportunities. Muay Thai for everyone. Hello and welcome to Moying the podcast. And today's topic is how to be trainable. Today we have Don Heatrick on the show. Don is a former fighter and mechanical design engineer. Even though his fighting days are over, he's still extremely passionate about Muay Thai, and he helps fighters level up their fight performance. As from Heatrick.com, with education and resources on strength and conditioning for Muay Thai. Thanks for coming on, Don. How has your week been? Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's yeah, it's been a good week. Good week so far. Always love kind of having that mixture of working with people online, but also having them face to face as well. So I kind of I get to keep my hand in with the face to face folks, uh, COVID permitting, of course, but then also the online side as well. And it's yeah, it's been a, a nice busy week so far, and people have been getting some good results. So happy with that. Yeah, and you make that. I guess one of the good things about COVID is that. More people are seeing the value in online coaching, and now you have clients from all over the world, right? Not just people who live in your backyard. That's right. Yes, yeah. I actually had one of my clients had a son who was doing like a business studies.、Uh, I think it was a degree in business studies, and he wanted to use me as a called born global business, and I was like, "Am I?" And actually, I am. So because it's online based. It was when I tallied it up, it was over like forty different countries that, that I was actually had clients in, and it was all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, I am a global company. It sounds it's just me, me and and a few people helping me out, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> customers all over the world, basically, as long as they got a reasonable grasp on English and speak in English, then I can help them out. So yeah, that's the way I'm kind of set up. And with COVID, yeah, a lot more people have been. Looking at online training as something that could work for them, and certainly has been the only way they can work really in,、mm-hmm. the, in the short term with everything that's been going on. So I started training Muay Thai like a little bit just over ten years ago, and I remember when I started, I was looking for resources on you know how to lose weight, how to cut weight, and also how to supplement my training. And I stumbled upon your website, and this is. I don't know if at that point you had any online coaching or if it was just a blog. Like it was, it was so long ago. I just don't remember. But you know, I read your articles on weight cutting, and I saw all these charts and graphs on how to dehydrate and hydrate properly, and what a healthy weight cut should look like on a scale. And the nerd in me, because you know, in school I was taking all these science classes and stuff, so I was like, oh, this is cool stuff. Like this guy like knows what he's talking about. He's not just saying things and not backing them up. Like you're not just. Saying things because they were taught to you, or saying things because other people are saying them. You're saying them because you know you did your research, you put it together. You're like, hey, this is what this study says. So, chances are that this is going to apply to you as well. Yes, yeah. I think that's the thing because in Muay Thai itself, there is traditionally just coaches are taught the way they're taught by their coach, and they show their students exactly how they were taught. But of course, you know things move on. We kind of understand there's a better way, perhaps. Of achieving whatever it is we're looking to set out to get, and I guess with my engineering background, I've got more of a an analytical approach to everything, and a, I like to structure stuff. That's that's the way my mind kind of works. And I guess with having studied to be an engineer as well, I'm used to looking at research and kind of continuous learning anyway. So 
it's one of those things with human performance, we're kind of learning more about it all the time and stuff that we thought this is how it worked. We're now finding out with further studies, yeah, we kind of guessed that was the best fitting model at the time. It's not true anymore. We now know this to be more true. It's never actually perfectly true. It's always evolving. And we're kind of just guessing all the time, but things do evolve. So it's the approach that say five years ago, even that we were using perhaps isn't valid anymore or that we actually know there's a more efficient way to do it. And we were making assumptions that weren't true. And that this is the big bit for me. We can dump stuff that's now irrelevant and not efficient anymore and go straight to the gold nuggets that actually this is what changes your performance. So don't waste your time and energy with that. Focus on this bit. You're going to get the same, if not better results without kind of wasting so much time and effort. And that's always been my personal approach. And I applied it to myself in my own training. I kind of went out there and researched stuff and and applied the methods to myself as like a case study of one and found what did or didn't work for me. And then also being a coach, then trying to kind of disseminate that to people I'm working with as well. I'm finding out what did or didn't work with them that perhaps might have worked for me and trying to find that commonplace where, okay, there's a highest probability that this will work for everybody. Being able to kind of go specific for individuals when it's needed, but kind of going in with I always see it as a being a mistake, really, as a coach to kind of just go, this worked for me, therefore it's going to work for you. That's not the case. That's not the way the body works. And it's not the way we're kind of wired up to mentally work, but also physically work. We've got to kind of dial in a little bit, but we can certainly pick the things which have got the highest probability of being successful for everyone and then fine tune it from there. And the flip side also is valid. Like just because something doesn't work for me, it doesn't mean it doesn't work for everyone else. And I think sometimes people get a little bit tripped up with things like that. Mm. You've done so much research on your part and part of your passion and your job as a coach is to keep up to date with all the latest news and the latest studies and trying to apply it to athletes and Muay Thai fighters. What are some misconceptions that you hear a lot about strength and conditioning for Muay Thai specifically? Like, I'm sure we can go on all day, like listing and refuting them, but what are some of the ones that you hear the most? I think it's starting to change now, which is really good. But historically, anyone who was using the traditional Thai model, which of course everyone's going to look to because they are the best in the world. The Thais, you know, they're training full-time, they're doing this seriously. It's a full-time job for them. And the way they train doesn't use a lot of sports science. It's, it is handed down from trainers and coaches and fighters. And you know you just get that continual kind of traditional circle. And the culture with respecting elders and not questioning things. And there's just a whole lot of reasons why in Thailand, things are very slow to change. It's that attitude of if it's not broken, don't fix it, rather than there is actually a more efficient way of doing this in some of those areas. So using the Thai model, there really isn't a strength and conditioning element to it. So strength and conditioning is just supplemental training. The strength side of it, it's resistance training really. So rather than purely being just strength, it's all the neuromuscular training. So it's resistance against weights for strength, but it's also explosive power using a weight to explode with and then speed. So not a lot of load, but anything that's going to make you move at maximum velocity. If you're training all of those things, that's bringing something to the party that Muay Thai by itself isn't because it doesn't train with that sort of overload or that kind of specificity for what you're trying to achieve to develop those aspects of your body. The endurance side is covered in traditional Thai training. So we've got all the pag work and the bad work, bag work going on. There are steady state runs and things going on as well. 
which is covering that. So there's a, a hybrid there. But the resistance training side of it really isn't covered at all. So in Thailand, the typical attitude is that heavy weight training makes you slow, makes you less flexible. You don't need it. But of course, that's, it's only true if you use the tool in a certain way. If you use it like a bodybuilder, that's absolutely true. If you use it like an athlete, which is the sports science way of using resistance training, we can make a fighter stronger, more explosive and faster without adding any body weight either. You know, so it's, it's neuromuscular. It's more about the brain and the motor control of the muscle fibers you've got and making them recruit movement as efficiently as possible without bulking up muscle. You can, of course, put on some muscle if you choose to, if you're kind of weak in an area and you need to, but it's that whole myth of strength training will make you slow. That's like the big one coming from Thailand. And it largely comes from kind of misunderstanding what resistance training really is or what it's capable of doing. Getting and the different kinds of it, you know, it's not there's just one kind of yeah. training, which people think of is like, you know, the bodybuilding kind. Yes. Or the other shift tends to be using resistance purely for like circuit training. So it's more like a strength or power endurance way of using weights as well, which mm. you do often see the ties doing as well. I'm less of a fan of that kind of stuff because it tends to develop more of the same qualities that you get from practicing Muay Thai. So I'm like, don't waste your time with that. Practice more Muay Thai. Then you're getting more skill development as well. If you're doing anything supplemental, you should be doing the things that plug the gaps that the Muay Thai training isn't giving you rather than just doing more of the same and just making you more fatigued. So that would probably be another myth that strength and conditioning is circuit training. It's not, I kind of say it, it really should be strength or conditioning, not strength and conditioning. The strength training neuromuscular stuff is stuff done without fatigue. It should be the strongest you can be with relatively high duration rest and as explosively powerful as you can be and as fast as you can be. And all of that requires that you're not fatigued. So we give you adequate rest in that time. If it's more of an energy systems thing and you're trying to beast yourself for fitness, strength, power and speed can't be maximally developed anymore because there's too much fatigue. So you might as well go and do stuff that induces fatigue. And really that should be Muay Thai, in my opinion, because that way, so you are developing your Muay Thai skill and getting the repetition of everything you need done that way as well. Mm -hmm. And based off of the last part, what you said about fatigue, would you also say like another common misconception that you hear a lot as a coach is that everything that you do, like all aspects of your training should fatigue you? Yeah. Yeah. So again, because a Muay Thai fight is tiring. Every fighter, because it's also the bit we get a bit of a buzz off, pushing into that fatigue and just soldiering on, we tend to try and make the rest of our training feel as much like Muay Thai as we can. And whether that's using resistance training or any of these other tools as well, when actually to overload a specific quality, so a performance quality that would massively contribute to your Muay Thai performance, but it isn't being supplied by Muay Thai because of the amount of fatigue that you've got in there, it just blunts and jades that, then you need to kind of be able to take that aside separately, training in isolation and have that discipline mentally to think this is a different kind of training session. This is one to boost those qualities up so that then I can endure them longer in my Muay Thai training. If I'm trying to endure them when I'm building them, these qualities don't build that way. So I'm actually wasting my time. Mm -hmm. It also seems like just from a lot of the things you listed, it's like people tend to hear select parts of what you're saying, but in a vacuum. Like, so for example, lifting weights makes you put on weight, like unnecessary weight. 
and you're like, well, that could be true if you were doing it like this. So there, it seems like there's a lot of conditions to what these people are saying. And a lot of people have these beliefs that are probably passed on to them of like, just that vacuum part of the sentence. It's interesting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could, for example, you could say, oh, running gives you shin splints. You know, like, well, yes, it will. If you do way too much to what you're accustomed to, if you've suddenly increased the volume of running that you've got, then yes, it will give you shin splints. But if you do it kind of in a more progressive managed way, it won't, you know, and it's the same with weight training. Yes, it can achieve these certain uh, byproducts, if you like, but there are completely different ones if you use the tool in a different way. And it is shifting that from seeing the resistance training in the gym as purely strength training. And it's athletic training where we build strength first. That's kind of like the underlying foundation of everything. But then you need to transition that from building strength, which is building your body's ability to produce force, maximum force. You then want to change it into power training, which is then expressing as much of that force as quickly as possible, explosively. That's power training. That's the next step. And then it's finally taking that power and making it work against relatively low resistance, which is body weight or the, the weight of your glove, when now you're accelerating something as quickly as possible. It's actually maximum velocity then. But it's you can't be fast if you haven't got the prerequisite strength in the first place. So building that up first is the first port of call. Once you've got sufficient strength, we then want to convert it through power and finally into speed. And that's where you really see the effect then in the ring against your opponent. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about like just physical aspects of what goes in or what should go into like ideal regimen of a fighter or an athlete, you know, and when people think about training or developing an athlete, they think about the physical things, including myself. Like, you know, I think about the things that you just talked about. I think about kicking, I think about punching, I think about sparring, you know, fighting, recovering from the fights, fighting again. And, you know, the physical part is one aspect and people who think that way are not wrong, but they're not all the pieces, right? What other mm. pieces do you think are missing in the things that I just described? Yeah. So the big kind of underlying aspect to all of this is actually your mindset as well. And that, that's actually something I'm in the process of, well, I was originally trying to write one book and I've very quickly realized it's actually divided into three different areas for me to allow me to keep this kind of on topic each time. And the way I see performance as a whole kind of distributed really with anything, but particularly with Muay Thai, it sounds cliche, but it's mind, body, and spirit. Those are the things. A lot of people know me for the body side, the physical performance side of it, that we're trying to get that side up. The mind for me is actually more strategy and tactics. That's like your fight IQ. The spirit side of it is more the mindset. It's fight EQ, which is the emotional quotient. So it's emotional intelligence and knowing yourself, knowing when you're kind of getting distracted by your own thoughts and all this kind of stuff. And it's the motivation and the grit to keep training when you need to. And it's generally that kind of self-knowledge that you develop when you fight as well. You know, how you think you behave a certain way in a certain situation. And it's not until you're pushed under pressure that you find out really how you behave. And that's one of the fascinating things I find about Muay Thai and fighting in general, that sort of uh, competitive performance. And the mindset side of it is huge. It's For me, that's the bit that we kind of need to start with because unless you've got your mindset right, then even if I laid out all of the training that you'd need to do, you wouldn't have the motivation to actually do it or have the purpose behind what you're doing to actually put in enough time 
an effort to see the rewards of that. So what would you consider the right mindset for a Muay Thai fighter? Well, the right mindset, definitely for Muay Thai, but really for anything, I guess if we were to kind of boil it down to one thing, it's a growth mindset. So it's someone who sees that hard work produces your ability rather than a belief in natural talent and either you've got it or you haven't. If you believe that it's purely natural talent, then as soon as things get tough, you kind of give up. That's what happens. You might be able to achieve success quickly if you kind of deem yourself as having talent. But as soon as a tough enough struggle comes along, and it will do, you'll get an opponent that can beat you at some stage that's going to happen. Then you suddenly start self-doubting and it's more that your identity gets threatened because you see yourself as a talented person. And rather than seeing like, I've lost a fight, you start seeing yourself, I'm a loser. And you lose all the motivation to do everything. Whereas someone with a growth mindset sees themselves as they can build talent, but it's a work in progress and never the finished product there. They're always working towards it. And then a loss isn't a loss. It's it's actually something that taught me something, something I can now go away and work on and I hopefully won't make the same mistakes again if there were mistakes. Or it just shows me this person was another level up again and that's what I need to be working towards. And the long-term motivation of that is massively, massively different. So if you're a fixed mindset, those struggles kind of can kind of ultimately end your passion for what you're doing. If you've got a growth mindset, it doesn't matter what happens to you, you're still forever climbing. And it's that beginner's mindset, you know, the whole Zen thing. It's... uh you might be reaching an, a level of expertise, but you don't see yourself as an expert. Therefore, you're willing to front up to mistakes and errors. And it's that whole thing about being trainable as well. So that massively then drives into your relationship with your coaches. If you're more of a fixed mindset, then you tend not to see constructive feedback as helpful. You tend to take that as criticism rather than critique that's going to help you improve. Kind of take it a bit more, everything's more personal. Everything kind of damages your self-image a little bit more. It makes you more fragile. Whereas, say, a growth mindset, you don't. Everything kind of adds to you. And that's a really nice thing. And that's kind of people I like to work with. And it, it is something you can train as well. That's the thing. It's not, it's a shift in attitude. And you might not necessarily have that growth mindset in all things all the time. And you can definitely have something happen that puts you into a more of a fixed mindset temporarily. So... I mean, Carol Dweck, the book Mindset's a really good book to read, actually, if you're interested in that sort of side of things. But there's lots of kind of studies referenced in there where you can take people that have a growth mindset. So let's say it was a test that was, say, like a something to do with mathematics. And you told the people before they do this test that this is a test of your intelligence. It immediately puts people into a fixed mindset. They're thinking, okay, I'm either, either intelligent or I'm not. So as soon as, if that's a really tough test, which was what the structure was, if you have a fixed mindset and you're finding it hard, you start to believe I'm not capable of doing this and you kind of quit. If you took exactly the same test and you were told that this is a test of your learning ability, then all of a sudden you're finding it tough, but you keep persevering, you keep cracking at it. And the results are massively different, different between the two. So that's kind of a good kind of example there, but it's exactly the same in fighting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot from you in terms of that term growth mindset. When we were on your podcast several months ago, you did use that word a lot. And I've been seeing it more and more in your posts on social media and you stressing the importance of like, hey, if you really want to get better, it's not all the other stuff. It's really this. And that ties back into what you were saying. It's like, you know, 
you can give someone all the tools and all the things that they need, but if they don't have that mindset, then the chances of it working out for them are probably going to be very small. Do would you say like that would be comparable to what the Thais call having hearts or Yeah, very much so. I mean, so mm-hmm. it is that the fixed mindset if you get knocked down is almost like, oh, they're better than me. I'm done. You know, whereas a growth mindset would be I get knocked down three times, I get up four times. You know, it's that I'm not dead yet. I'm still going. I'm still going. Yeah. And that's it's that kind of attitude with everything. It is that heart. Yeah. And I guess the training in Thailand is actually filtering for that. So I guess, you know, the fighters are being pushed in that way. And the ones that can't take the critique, can't take that constructive feedback and aren't willing to take it on board, they kind of fall by the wayside, don't they? To a large extent. But it definitely is possible to kind of rise right to the top, the elite level and still have a pretty fixed mindset. But the likelihood of you staying there for a long time, not very high at all. Mm. I've seen so many people just come and go, just, you know, visiting and leaving. And it's interesting also to see those two groups of people that you're talking about, the people who come and then, you know, the Thai trainers, they're very blunt, you know, they're going to be like, Mm. oh, your kicks are no good. Oh, your clinch sucks. Oh, you need to work on this. You need to work on that. And you see some people, they just get so frustrated and they're just like, what? I don't know anything. What have I been learning in the past few years? And then there's the other group of people, the people of the growth mindset. They just, they might be shocked at first from like the bluntness of it, but then they show up and they work on it. They show up and they work on it. They're practicing after class because they're like, oh, okay, I need to fix this and I need to get better. So um, yeah, I've definitely seen it in terms of visitors in Thailand. And it's definitely interesting to see the difference. Do you think there's a difference between being coachable, being trainable and being teachable? Or do you think they're all kind of the same thing? I think they're all kind of the same thing, to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got someone who's willing to kind of take their shortcomings on the chin and not feel threatened by it, that's the person who's really trainable, coachable and can learn the quickest. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, if you see every kind of bit of feedback that's not great as kind of threatening to your self-esteem, you lie and cover it up and make excuses and blame other things. and You never correct those things. They just get swept under the carpet. Whereas someone who is trainable and coachable, it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously there's the way you kind of present it to them. But even if you say it nicely, someone who's not able to kind of take critique and just sees it as criticism and the walls go up and it's denial, they're never going to improve that aspect. So yeah, that's kind of the crux of it in my mind. It's also down to what motivates you, whether it's that whole intrinsic or extrinsic motivation. So is it, are you in it literally because of you want everyone to think you're awesome and that you're the champion and you want medals and titles and all this kind of stuff? If that's purely what you're chasing, that's not so sustainable. It's also not as much in your control. Whereas intrinsically, if you just want to get better, then it doesn't matter what happens to you. You're forever in control of that. And that's someone who makes relentless progress rather than kind of burn bright, crash out, you know, it's a very different way of kind of approaching the same thing. So what you're saying is a lot of people, they should take a little bit more responsibility in their own progress, as opposed to just leaving their progress as wherever they are in their journey onto just their coach or onto just other people. Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. That's, I guess that's, it's one of those things because I've been lucky enough. I mean, everything, the the way your mindset is, the way you're kind of, 
you approach problems and think about things is all down to what's happened to you in life as well. So there's personality traits that come into it, but there's also experiences that if early on, you know, you overcame something that you didn't think you were going to be able to do and you kind of worked at it for whatever reason, you were persistent enough to not give up on it and you succeeded, that tends to make you shift into more of a growth mindset. You start seeing those patterns in everything that, it, okay, I'm not a natural at this, whatever that really means. All it means is if you're deemed a natural, you've had some practice somewhere that was similar, that crossed over, and you practiced because at some stage you were curious about something, you just kept at it and worked through failures. You then appear natural. But there'll be other things that are presented to you that are brand new, and it's kind of challenging, like, oh, I'm not very good at this. And you, you kind of see this as, I'm just not talented at this, so therefore I won't go that way. When it could be, you, you could be very talented at it, you just need to be curious enough to stay in it while you're failing and all of a sudden you'll break through. And that's big, big kind of difference in how you approach things there. Do you think the responsibility at all falls on Muay Thai coaches to make sure or try to help their athletes get to this kind of point in their life where they realize that, hey, I can meet you halfway, but you also have to meet me halfway kind of, I mean, that's one aspect of it. But do you think that that responsibility should also fall on the coach? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely down to the coach to recognize what the fighter needs at what stage of their progress and to feed them that. But then it's the fighter's responsibility to take that on board and do something with it rather than either ignore it, go and do something else because it's easier, because they're being challenged, they're being kind of instructed to head down one route here that the coach will see will develop them the most. And it, it is a challenge that's perhaps outside their comfort zone, which it's then those with a growth mindset are more happy to go into that because it's less kind of stressful for them than someone who's feeling like they're, they're a failure if they can't do it. So it, it's down, it's, you've got that responsibility as a fighter to kind of meet those challenges that are given to you. But it's definitely, definitely the coaches have got to have that sight to see what challenge needs to be posed next to help this fighter move forwards next. And it needs to be a challenge that's at the right increment for that fighter as well. And that's a personal thing. So you know, a challenge in terms of the number of fights that you've got in a year or the type of opponent that you've got, for example, can be massively different. What's going to serve one fighter to another? You know, one will take them way out of their kind of challenge skill balance and put them straight into an anxiety and fear and they won't grow there. Whereas that same level of kind of task to someone else would be right in the sweet spot of just outside what they can cope to move them forwards enough, but not so far that they kind of go out of flow state really. Um, mm -hmm. and they go into fear and anxiety. So it's down to the coach to kind of recognize probably where that fighter is and to push them at just the right amount. And if you underdo it, it's monotony and boredom. Don't get anywhere. If you overdo it, it's fear and anxiety. So you're kind of looking for where that is and just testing to see where that is. And again, growth mindset kind of style. Sometimes you'll get it right. Sometimes you'll get it wrong, but it's kind of then recognizing where that was and kind of putting your hand up as a coach to that and saying, yep, that challenge was too much. I can see that that wasn't helpful. And another time will be as a coach to say, I need to push you further because we're not stretching you enough to make you progress. And we need to do that as well. What you described there was like, in my opinion, an example of like a great coach who's invested in whoever it is that they're training and they're really invested in the person's journey, no matter how long or short it is. Do you think this type of coach would also need to be trainable in a way in order to reach that point? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 
if this is something really interesting, actually. So if really athletes, fighters should have a growth mindset, coaches should have a growth mindset as well. So for example, if I, as a coach, the language that I use, I mean, for example, I mean, this gets into, I know we talked about stereotype threat as well in our podcast together, didn't we? The attitude of the coaches can massively influence how people perform as well. So stereotype threat would be something that kind of presents a bit of a fixed mindset as well. So if I, as a coach, believed that female fighters weren't capable, then that would put you into that fixed mindset of, although you might want to prove me wrong, it would still, you'd have this little limit in your head that, okay, female fighters aren't, aren't as good. Whereas a growth mindset is, it doesn't matter who you are, you can get better and improve and you can perform much higher than anyone who's not applying the same sort of effort you are and work. Obviously that work needs to be on the right thing so you're not wasting time, but that's the truth. So as a coach, having a growth mindset is massively, massively important because every little bit of dialogue that you have with your fighter can start to make them more fixed themselves or more growth. And you want to encourage growth all the time. You want to tell them that talent is worked for. It's not natural. And in fact, if you deem yourself natural, it's just you stuck at something and that's why you've got that. You've already worked to get there, continue to work to get better now. Not that you're already the finished product and uh, mm -hmm. you're only set up to fail from here. Yeah, there's a lot of responsibility on the coach as well, definitely. I'm really glad that you brought up stereotype threat again. You know, a lot of people, sometimes they ask me and ask other women, you know, oh, why are you guys making such a big deal off this? Why do these kind of things bother you? So we're talking about things like microaggressions and just kind of like language about women or just, you know, things that kind of are seem like not very much a big deal on the grand scheme of things. And maybe on the grand mm -hmm. scheme of things, they're not, but then we know that they play into this bigger thing, right? So then you talk about stereotype threat and related to that is also confirmation bias. You know, mm -hmm. so if you believe or not even believe, but if you think something might be true, you kind of look for things to confirm that in your mm -hmm. mind. So to play on your examples of like, uh, you know, female fighters can't be this, can't be that, you know, when a woman in the gym like makes a mistake, they're gonna be like, oh, there it is. I thought I was right all along, you know, and that's also another example of or an indicator of a uh, fixed mindset because mm -hmm. you're not willing to challenge those beliefs that other people told you or maybe you told them to yourself or, you know, God knows what. But yeah, I'm really yeah. glad you brought that up as well. So, But it also, I mean, there's obviously the male-female side, but it's everywhere. You've got to kind of pay attention. So for example, a Western fighter training out in Thailand, there's the stereotype that Westerners aren't as good as the Thais. And if you've got mm -hmm. that in your head, and if that's what the coaches are kind of feeding as well, that you're forever in that stereotype threat that I'm a Westerner. You know, it's obviously the male-female side is, is one thing, but it, there's lots of different layers to it. Um, yes. And it's not until you're on the receiving end that you're really aware. And if you're, I mean, the term is the privileged position, isn't there? If you happen to be in a more privileged position in whatever aspect that is you're in, you notice the stereotypes less or not at all, but mm -hmm. it doesn't mean they're not there. And it's understanding that and kind of just being aware of, even if that's not what someone personally believes, being in an, an environment where that is seemed to be the common belief, it does affect you. Incidentally, it's really interesting, actually, the, the antidote to stereotype threat is a growth mindset. So if you're more of a fixed mindset, it heavily affects you. If you're more of a mm -hmm. growth mindset, then you're able to kind of think or internalize that might be what you believe, but that's your belief and not mine. 
you don't absorb it emotionally in the same way. So uh, yeah, another tick to growth mindset there and being willing to push yourself. If we were to make like a very like on the fly list of qualities of a person that are teachable, that you think are teachable, maybe we should just do this together, being open to new ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that open to new ideas is really, it is the growth mindset. That's really it there. Beginner's mind is another way of kind of thinking of that. So it doesn't matter how Mm -hmm. expert you get, if you're able to be willing to go back to the drawing board when necessary and to grind on something again, that even that you thought you might have got down and being honest about, no, there's room for improvement. That kind of beginner's mind is, is really critical. There's always something to learn for sure. Yeah. The ability, willingness to change. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it, it is that being willing to change and it's being able to put in the work to change as well. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. The way the kind of, well, motor patterns, brain habits of thought, all that kind of stuff, it takes repetition. And it's understanding that if you've got a clean slate, nothing you're trying to change, it doesn't take many repetitions for you to bank an automated new habit of movement of thought or whatever. If you're trying to change something that's already there, it takes a lot, lot longer. So there's a guy, Dr. Schmidt, who did motor pattern learning, and he kind of discovered rough ballpark figures, three to 500 repetitions of something, and it becomes automatic. You don't have to think about it anymore. If you then want to change it, something that's already bedded in three to 500 times that's automatic, and this is true of thought processes as well, it's three to 5,000 repetitions deliberately to rewrite it. So that as a kind of underlying theme there, just think how hard is it to change something that I would automatically do now? If you're an expert, and you've been throwing your round kick a certain way for thousands and thousands of repetitions. And initially, you don't need to kind of change too much for it to kind of look okay. And it's not a limiting factor for you. You're kind of, it's good enough. But then as you get more and more elite, there's smaller and smaller things you need to change. And now what wasn't critical in the way you threw that round kick now is your limiting factor. Everything else is kind of bedded in. It's all looking good. If you're then looking to change that slight little thing on the round kick, for example, then that's where an elite person needs to be prepared to go back to that beginner's mindset and just go, well, I've got to drill the hell out of a round kick now, just a round kick over and over on the bag like a beginner and change this one thing. And I've got to do this three to 5,000 times now before that becomes my new habit. And I've cleaned up that error that I'd bedded in, but I never noticed because it wasn't crucial. But now it's crucial because it's my limiting factor. So that would be a big thing, that kind of understanding of there's a need to go back and grind at the beginner stuff when it's time to change something that's already learned. Mm, mm, mm. That makes so much sense, especially like I'm teaching now, I'm teaching Muay Thai now. And when I get like total beginners in, it's definitely easier to mold them and just kind of, you know, I'm telling them to do something, they do it, they repeat it, they get better at it. And it, it looks more and more towards of what I want. I take someone who's Mm. been training for like five years and I'm trying to change things that they already do. They're like, I don't even notice it. I don't even know I'm doing it. So yeah, it's interesting that you have a number, (laughs) three to 5,000. And whether that's an exact number or it just gives you that proportion of how quickly you'll learn something new compared to changing something and just being prepared to put that kind of ratio of work into changing something if it's already in and you you need to make adjustments. Mm. Let's continue on with our list of qualities of someone teachable. How about listening with the intention of taking in what sets you as opposed to showing like, oh, this is what I can do, but this is what I do. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you know what? A lot of this, it boils back to that same thing. It boils back to growth mindset again. So if you're of a fixed mindset, then when you hear something like that, you're looking for an opportunity to demonstrate how good you are because that's your self-esteem. I'm talented at this. I need to show you Mm -hmm. that. Whereas Mm -hmm. the fixed mindset would be more, I'm listening, I'm prepared to change something rather than looking to kind of demonstrate how proficient I already am. I'm looking for how I can grow. So it affects your listening as well. So yeah, but that's an important bit, <laughs> listening. And as a coach, you know, listening to the fighters, not just, I kind of have that old analogy. I guess it's a bit of an old thing now, isn't it? Like a walkie-talkie. No one uses these anymore. But there's, there was a button you had to press down to speak, and then you had to let go of it to hear the other end, someone speaking back to you. And I find a lot of people are kind of like they've got their transmit button down the whole time. They're just blah, 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 talk, talk, talk. And they're not even over. Your turn. I'll listen. There's none of that going on. So both as a fighter, but also a coach, we do definitely need to take our finger off transmit and listen, listen to what's going on. I love that analogy. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's also a little bit rude awakening to think that there are some people listening that have zero clue what a walkie-talkie is, but they were definitely yeah. something when I was growing up. <laughs> they you were all the rage. I wanted one so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm finding that more and more now. My analogies, I'm needing to update them because I'm like, yeah, this... <laughs> you're going to have to update them for uh, 2022. That's for sure. I just get a raised eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Actually, I was just at the gym yesterday and someone was like, I've never watched Austin Powers. And for me, it was like one of those shows that was always on TV. Like, even if I didn't want to watch it, it was just there. Like, I was just forced to watch it. And I was like, you didn't watch what? (laughs) Oh, no. It's starting to happen to you, Angela. (laughs) Do you know what? My kids are brilliant. They really bring you down to earth and kind of show you really what's going on. There's a new Matrix film coming out, isn't there? And none of my kids have actually seen the first three Matrix films. They're my favorite kind of films, I think. But yeah, I've got to show them all the films before they even kind of watch this final one. And they're like, no, no idea what that is. I think I might have shown my son the lobby scene at, at one stage where, where there's that gun battle and they're doing all that in the lobby. But that's his only, only knowledge of The Matrix. So yeah, any analogies to The Matrix films? And this, of course, it's, I think Shrek is more something they're aware of, the spoof stuff they do in the Shrek movies. <laughs> there was bullet time technology and fight scenes and stuff. But yeah, yeah analogies... <laughs> But in, on a coaching side of things, analogies are so important because you're looking for someone's got an experience of that you can say it's like this. And if you've not got analogies that work for people, you need to find some other analogies because it's a really good, quick, direct way of getting people to feel what you're talking about, regardless of what their experience is. So I'm forever, I tend to talk in analogies quite a lot, but I must admit, I find it harder and harder to find <laughs> Relevant uh, ones. Analogies that, that aren't out of date. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure if you did some brainstorming or maybe asked your kids for, hey, you know, in this day and age, we have this. What is that now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are there any other qualities you would add to the list of someone who is teachable? Like, I know you, there's so much overlap between growth mindset and being teachable, or more like someone who is teachable has that growth mindset. Are there any other qualities you would add to this off the top of your head? Yeah, I think something that jumps out that's perhaps not ever so obviously tied up with fixed mindset or growth mindset is really having that, I guess, willingness to do what's being asked of you without spoiling the recipe. That's something I see with people as well. So sometimes people will be like, yes, 
I'm going to do this, this, and this, but I'm also, I've got a real tie to something else that I was doing as well. And I'm going to do that as well, even though I know I shouldn't really be. And they'll add more things into their training program. And sometimes it works. More often than not, it doesn't because we're actually looking to overload specific qualities. And if you're throwing in something else that perhaps don't understand would conflict with what we're working on, it cancels that all out. Or at the very least, kind of takes away recovery that would have been better invested in your body adapting to the stimulus we chucked at it. And you just, you know, decharge the battery by kind of doing some extra stuff that wasn't even necessary and often isn't kind of relevant to the block of training that you're in. So that's something that I've kind of found, you know, some fighters are like, yep, I'm going to trust you. (laughs) We're we're only going to do what it says on the tin. And I'm not going to go off and kind of, yeah, over-season the dish or the recipe and add other stuff to it. And it's like, I've just ruined it, but I didn't realize. So that's someone who's coachable will also kind of trust the process and be willing to kind of perhaps even kind of feel less, they're not quite getting what they need in the short term so that they can reap the long-term reward. Whereas some people are so kind of focused on the short term and it tends to be more of a fixed mindset thing again, it all kind of pulls back to that but they're so fixed on the short-term and getting the short-term reward that they will sacrifice the ultimate long-term goal and gain for that. Mm -hmm. So that would be another another big one, I'd say. Someone who's coachable will kind of trust the process and invest enough time in it to see the rewards and not get kind of distracted by something shiny over here and that kind of, ah, it's all sabotage now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, the analogy that you use with recipes, at least food is always relevant, right? (laughs) Yeah, that one works, doesn't it? (laughs) That one works. Similar to what you said, I forgot who said it to me, but so long ago, but it's like, always come with your cup empty, you know, because you're asking someone else to fill that cup. And if you come with it empty, you're able to fill that cup. But if you come with your cup full, then the only thing that's going to happen is that it's just going to keep overfilling and Mm. you're going to have this whole mess and you're not going to know what to do with it. You're just going to have to clean it up. You're spending more energy than you need to be, which is just like kind of spot on with what we said as well. So if you ever need another analogy, we always have water. So, (laughs) And you know what? The way I see that as well, quite often you'll find you're given a piece of information and you'll either be recognizing that, oh, I've heard this before or I been doing this and your attitude will either be yeah i know that or it'll be ah can i do this better and that's a massively different kind of mindset as well again it's kind of fixed mindset or growth mindset really but i find that a lot so whenever i see something or even this is something else as well this kind of there's always something to learn isn't there from everything even if it's confirming you're on the right path that's something so if you see something that you already believe you're familiar with and you're like yeah i'm already doing this it's like, just look a little closer because there might be a little nuance in here that you've missed and you could actually improve what you're doing, even if it's something you thought you knew. But the other thing is being willing to kind of learn from anybody, even if you don't deem them as expert as you. Someone will notice something and give you some feedback, even if they're like a novice, they'll spot something and tell you. And rather than just going, not listening to you because you're a novice, just try it on for a moment and just see, ah, they've got something, you know, that thank you. That's helped me improve. I hadn't noticed that. And it doesn't need to be someone who's senior to you in your eyes all the time. It's kind of learn from everybody, definitely. That's also like an ego thing as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get all existential, but I have to ask, just based off so many of the things that you said, you were like, this applies to 
everything. This applies to life. This applies to outside of fighting, outside of Muay Thai. Yeah. Do you think that if more people had this like growth mindset and were try to become more teachable, more coachable, more trainable, do you think that as a society we would be just better and nicer to each other? Yeah. Well, I think we'll see value in everybody's input that way. That's a really good point, actually, because something that makes me think of my background is engineering. So that's where I came from. That was my full time career for 18 years while I was. My side hustle was Muay Thai and I was competing and doing that. And then I decided I was going to leave that behind. I wanted to be a full-time coach because this is really what lit me up. But there was so much of what I did as an engineer that I now apply to what I do as a coach. They're completely different disciplines, but I could see the parallels and the crossovers. I could see where there were weaknesses in the standard kind of coaching practices, if you like, that my experience as an engineer, wow, I could really explode this area up. This is not being managed as well as it could be. And it's exactly the same for every discipline. There's, it's seeing the crossover and seeing the similarities rather than the differences and being able to piggyback and borrow the bits that different disciplines do much, much better than someone who's just tunnel visioned in Muay Thai. And they don't look outside of that. There's no kind of network kind of cross-referencing going on and borrowing what other people are doing really well. And again, as a growth mindset, you're more happy to do that. You can see it's like pattern recognition. Oh, this is the same as this, but a little bit different. And this could be actually managed a lot better if it was done this way. Or we could drop that out and add this in and whoa, now we've got a better recipe rather than no, it's the recipe. It's the recipe. <laughs> Things have to be this way. And that's the ceiling really of, I guess, if we're going back to the Thai model again, th this is where I see the issue in, in Thailand, you've got more training time. So therefore you can afford to be less efficient. You've got more hours you can chuck at it. If you start saying you've got half that time and you've got half that time again, now you're doing only what matters. That's where you really see what needs to be done and not all what's really ended up being filler. It's that, it's the 80 20 rule, that Pareto rule, that actually 80% of your results come from 20% of your actions, not the other way around. There's a critical few and a trivial many. And you actually end up filtering for what the critical few are when you've got less resource. You kind of end up, okay, and now I need to do only what matters. And that's a really good exercise. And if every different discipline, that's going on out there is doing this kind of stuff all the time. You're being shown the critical 20% in all these different areas. And if you can see how it matches with what you're doing, you can borrow and merge those in and it's making your 20% even more efficient. Now you're making much more progress on your time and your energy. It's not just about chucking more hours at something. There's a ceiling on that. You can, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much you can recover from. It's actually about making your time you invest as effective as possible and understanding what to do when, and that should change. It shouldn't be the same thing all the time. Did anyone ever tell you you should be a motivational speaker? <laughs> I'm feeling so inspired right now. I'm like, oh my God, I need to look at everything that I'm doing, making sure it's efficient. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I've got a bit of a reputation with my kids that they start calling me Yoda and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> No, no, no. I've, I've got the same hairstyle and sometimes my ears catch the light. It looks a bit like Yoda, but... <laughs> well, you know, you can get those elf ears uh, for Christmas, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we talked about so many great things and I really appreciate you sharing all of your input and all of your observations and also research. That was really valuable to me and I hope other people find it valuable too. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? Anything you wanted to say? 
No, I don't think so, Angela. I thought you kind of, you herded me quite well there. Okay. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad because I didn't know if there was anything that I was kind of like missing or I just kind of like mulled over, but I'm glad to hear that you got everything you want to tell people out. Don, how can people find you, read more about growth mindset and, you know, learn more about who you are? Yeah, well, the best place to find me is my website. So everything, all the social media accounts are all linked off of there. So that's heatrick.com, H-E-A-T-R-I-C-K.com. There's, well, loads of posts and articles and videos and everything on there now. I mean, originally I was kind of, like I say, seen as more the strength and conditioning guy. That was really something I was pushing because it was the biggest gap. But really, I see myself as a Muay Thai performance guy on performance. So it's everything that's kind of involved in performance. So it is the technical, tactical side. It is the physical side, but it's also the mindset and the kind of emotional intelligence side. And I'm adding more and more articles and posts on that on the website, but that's where everyone can get hold of me. And just at Don Heatrick on Instagram is probably the the biggest social media platform I've got, but the website will herd you there as well. Are you adding more of the mental aspects to your online course as well? Yes. Yeah. So at the moment, it's more in the infancy there because it wasn't something I was convinced that other people would really want to hear from me. But as I've started sharing this stuff, I'm getting more and more questions on it. So I'm definitely going to start sharing what I've learned about that as well and how I kind of manage things behind the scenes. I mean, I approach things in a certain way with my clients, both online and in person, but it's not always obvious that's what I'm doing, but that's the kind of way I'm working behind the scenes. So I'm, I'm now trying to share more of that stuff with people. And really with me asking the questions about, I'm writing a book, it seems like it's these three different aspects, mind, body, and spirit. I put that out to, on social media and I put it out to my email list as to which one would you like to hear from me first. And I was really surprised that they were all actually pretty equal. So there wasn't a significant difference. So it's like, oh, there's actually an ad that people want to hear from about these topics from me rather than just like, no, I see you as the strength and conditioning guy and I'm not really interested in what you've got to say about anything else. So I'll definitely be amping up both the technical and tactical Muay Thai side of things and also the mindset side of things, as well as the strength and conditioning on the website from now on, definitely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's really something I appreciate as well, because personally for me during COVID, like as a fighter, I was like, I got to take care of myself more than just training and running and recovery physically. You know, I got to take care of everything that's going on up here and making sure that everything here is good so I can succeed in all these other areas of my life. So really appreciate that and really looking forward to what you have in store for us. Thanks, Angela. No problem. If you'd like to follow me, Angela Chang, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Angela Sitan, A-N-G-E-L-A-S-I-T-A-N. Moying also has a website, so you can find us on moying-ching.com. And we also have Patreon if you'd like to support us. Thank you for coming on to chat, Don. I had a really good time. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Moying, the first platform focused on those in the Muay Thai community that deserve more attention than they get. For more information on training, fighting, living in Thailand, and other episodes, please visit moy-ying.com. This is your host, Angela Chang, signing off. See you in the next episode of Moying.